everyone to another Scots We Hate podcast. And today I am joined by Leila Josephine. Hello, Leila. Hi, how are you doing? Good. And Leila is poet, performer, and storyteller. I'm particularly interested in that last one, but we'll come to that later on. We're here really to talk about Daddy Drag. It's a show that you did in Edinburgh. Yeah. And you're bringing it to the Tron uh, between the 26th and 29th of February. So tell us a bit about Daddy Drag. Uh, so Daddy Drag um, was my second solo show that I made um, after my first Hopeless. And it's a drag show about my dad. Right. Um, my dad passed away um, and it's kind of working out all those kind of secrets that you're left with when somebody dies. All these things that are kind of revealed about right. them. Um, and my mum narrates the show and I'm in drag throughout the show um, playing a kind of caricature of my father. Um, there's so much there to this. I know, there's a lot to dissect. <laughs> well, first of all, um, how did it feel the first time you did drag as your dad? If you're yeah, right? to be honest with you, I was very uncomfortable with it when right. I first did it. Um, it was quite clear to me instantly how much I relied on my femininity like even though I'm not particularly like a very girly person as I pass very femme you know I I realized that when that was stripped back I felt quite naked Um, and when I wanted to go for like I was rehearsing it in National Theatre of Scotland and when I wanted to go get some lunch you know, I would have to walk outside with a beard on and actually that made me feel really uncomfortable and I had to unpack what that was about. Um, but then after a while, a while it becomes so freeing because, right. you know, you when you shed yourself of these things that you've been relying on, on all the time, you're left with something quite pure. And actually, women are taught quite a lot of the time not to be disgusting, not to take up space, not to be cheeky and not to be kind of like excessive in any way and actually for me to borrow those things meant that I was finding a different power within myself and there's there's a lot of shame for women that do those kind of things I think not necessarily all women but for me anyway but that shame was kind of running parallel to the shame I had of my father doing those things so kind of reclaiming that was me also reclaiming my shame that I had surrounding him it was all it all felt very um it all felt very you know you know that feeling when you're being creative and things kind of just run away with themselves that's what it felt like it was like I was conquering all these different things without even realizing which was quite cool so it kind of took you to places you didn't you had no idea that it would no not at all when I first made the show I had development uh, two years ago for two weeks and and I wrote the show same sort of topic but I was myself and it was a poetry show so you know I write a lot of poetry my first show Hopeless was a spoken word show and then I decided that actually this show needed to be something completely different. Um, so it went from being a spoken word show to a drag show very quickly, which was kind of crazy. Because um, I haven't seen pictures of you in full drag. You yeah. see, it's really, you've gone for a fantastic beard. Yeah. <laughs> and the suit, and the, how did you build up the character? Was it yeah. totally based on your dad? I mean, does it, did you want to look like it, or was it a case of, no, this is the idea of, um, a masculine male in inverted commas, you yeah. know, what people might think. It was definitely based on my dad in terms of like um big belly, quite like like 
don't know, large gestures, all this kind of thing. My dad was like six foot three and towards the end of his life was huge. So right. it, kind of that was the, the to, to embody that character. I needed some things. Um, Annabelle Cooper, who is a drag artist who's part of um, Oasis, I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but they're like two two women that dress up in drag and do an Oasis kind of cover, they're yeah. brilliant. And she also won Man Up, which is a UK-wide um, mask drag competition. So she came in and she worked with me and that was great because she was able to show me how to do the, the facial hair and how to walk and how to speak. And she was mentored by Diane Tor, who was mm-hmm. like a really famous drag um, facilitator in Scotland. Um, so I felt like I was really getting passed on the baton of this thing that's you know becoming more and more done, but not that long ago was kind of unheard of in Scotland. Well, that's right. I think people, when people still think about drag, it's the other way around. Mm. It's, you know, men um, uh, become drag into female characters. Mm, yeah, and it's characters, isn't it? I mean, yeah. that's the thing. It's, it's, it's as you'd say, this is a piece of theatre, and it's creating this character. Yeah. which is why I'm really interested in doing it from a real person. You said your mum narrated it. How did she find the whole experience? Yeah, so, you know, going on top of what you've just said there, it definitely was a character, because one of the things that my mum found difficult was like, oh, no, your dad wouldn't be like that. Like, so it was quite hard to unpick the fact that you're, you're making a persona out of someone, but also of yourself. So it's not really very accurate to my dad but it's if I was a dad who I would be and actually one of the only things I have to go on is my dad so you've got all these kind of layers but I think for the people that knew him it's quite hard for them to watch because they're like oh but he wouldn't have been like that he wouldn't have done that and but actually there has to be a point where me as a theatre maker has to go well this is the craft and this is what I want the audience to digest and this is what I want to put forward so actually it has to become something else and something different and actually moving away from whether it's my dad or a character of a dad gives me a little bit of space away from it as well which was really important Um, but my mum yeah my mum found it difficult at the start Um, she was very hesitant of course there's quite hard to put that's one thing being really hard as a an artist that works with autobiographical material all the time is you're constantly on this fine line of when you hold back and when you push forward yeah. and you have nothing to go on other than your gut um so quite and you know I'm used to that whereas my mum and my family aren't used to that so that was always you know that's always quite a difficult line to tread um but my mum my mum came into rehearsals and she said she was fine with all of it and that was a relief because that was like a week before my first show in <laughs> art. Um, but yeah, she's really good. And I think a lot of people talk about how it's such an important part of the show because it's she's so articulate about right. and so generous with this man that was very... Um, was a very difficult man and, could, right. and and very had lots of flaws and actually her generosity allows a little bit of forgiveness and understanding and I think that we struggle to do that in a kind of cancel culture at the mm-hmm. moment um, when actually I don't think that that particularly moves us forward often. Yeah, the idea that people are all bad yeah. are all good is exactly. just ridiculous but that seems to be the way that people want to Yeah, totally. And, and I think the masculinity, you know, the, the understanding and forgiving men from very different generation 
it's very difficult like, and I don't think you should necessarily always do it And yeah. but it, there was something about for that show I had to explore what that meant and maybe I don't have the answer about whether it was good or bad or whatever maybe it's just about an offering and the audience get to take that away with them in whatever way possible because with the theme of the show it's something that everyone will have their own mm. version of that's what I was thinking about when I was reading uh, about it and you're thinking about my relationship with my dad and my mum yeah. particularly the conversations that often you have with your mum about your dad, yeah. thinking, crikey, would I ever want these to be um, dramatised in kind of any way? But then that's what I was thinking about, is that this can be an impersonation. I was thinking about Michael Sheen, the actor, mm-hmm. who has done a lot of real-life characters at Brian Clark, yeah. and him saying, yeah, I'm not doing an impersonation of these people. It's my, it's a character, and mm-hmm. then you've got the script and all of that. So how did you approach writing? The script in that way. Yeah, so the script, I mean, I don't even know if you could define it as a script. It's, so, Daddy is the character, I always refer to it as Daddy. Right. You know, like if you have a drag name, you yes. refer to it as name, so it's Daddy. And uh, he, he, I didn't actually ever call my dad Daddy, just want to put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he, he kind of goes on these like little adventures with the audience. So he goes fishing, he has a barbecue, he goes to a wedding. So there's a lot of audience interaction and actually there's not that much that is scripted, but he only talks in um, he only talks in phrases. Right. So he only says things like, I'm only joking, or uh, gosh, what else does he say? He says, I can't even remember. I'm, not, I'm just about to go to rehearsals. I can't remember any of it. He says fishing a lot. He says uh, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Um, so all these kind of phrases that yeah, you add, like, I think most dads have most these dads things. Have, that exactly. But I definitely feel like, um, even though I, I feel like everyone can relate to the character or understand the story, I don't think necessarily everyone relates to it right. because. Um, I, Notice that actually generationally older people find it more triggering than younger people okay. and I wonder if my dad was quite an older dad so he had me when he was 42 he was born in 48 so I wonder if it's almost like a generational thing of men that I'm talking about and actually there's quite a lot of young dads now that people can't really see their own dad in that in that uh, thing yes, which yeah. was really interesting because I always, I always find that I'm scared that older people hate my work but <laughs> generally with this one they were like able to relate more than I think the younger younger people yeah I suppose that's true you know you have parts of mine who are dads and their kids are in their teens and twenties and mm. stuff and have the same records all the same there's not been that sense maybe of the generational yeah split yeah and potentially it means that we're moving forward and men are more able to talk about their emotions and all these things that my dad wasn't able to do so yeah. potentially we're moving on a little bit I think that's maybe where those phrases those stock phrases come in yeah. instead of having emotional conversations it's little you know jokes a little joke jokes is a big thing and there's joke are jokes quite a big thing yeah jokes are a lot of things and that was really there's like a point in the show where um, the jokes become almost a little bit too you don't know whether you're meant to be laughing at them or not right. so I always wanted to make my audience feel uncomfortable and that's why some people hate the show because right. it's just it's very uncomfortable yeah. and um, in this show more than anything I've ever done has divided people and I think it's because there is 
a real feeling of, you know, I don't like this character, I don't like this person, I don't like this space being provided for this person and I don't want to laugh at this joke whereas other people are howling at the joke yeah. and, it, and, and, it, and it creates a weird feeling between the audience and me as a performer when I can tell people are, are switching off and I have to within myself be like it's okay that they're switching off, it's okay that they don't like this person because that that's what, what I always wanted to do yeah. um, but that is a hard thing to take on, hard. yeah totally and um, I, I think more and most of my work that I've ever done, like I do gigs all the time, broken work gigs all the time, and I'm constantly making people like me, and that's what I do. And then, you know, like winning them over and figuring out how to like warm them up and like all this thing, and then to be in a room and be like, oh, I want them at this point to be really angry. I want them at this point to be really disgusted. I want them at this point to want to walk out. And, you know, that, that, and, and having that and whatever their own stuff is with their relationship to men or dads or whatever that also comes onto me as well and that's that's quite heavy I found the fringe very difficult right. yeah I found it very um, exposing I felt after it that it was potentially not the right thing for, for the right place for the work to exist oh, that's interesting because um, it was well critically received you know yeah I mean it, it was in parts but I think I've definitely gone up a notch in terms of like in, when I did Hopeless I did it off my own back I did it in the space and the jury's in and you know all the people that were reviewing me were like small press mm. and all this kind of stuff and now I have moved up to something like at Summer Hall with the Autopsy Award and like all these yeah. things um, there was a lot of pressure and actually I found the reviews very difficult because a lot of the reviews were mediocre. A lot of them were, I I got my first two star Mm -hmm. and I just feel like I'll never forget that because I was so, I just felt like it was so exposing. Like I felt, and and I think that that's the real tricky thing about when you're making work is that you have to find a way of just doing it whether people like it or not. Yeah, Um, absolutely. And yeah, so I I found it very hard and I think it was very hard because you know my dad my dad died so you know I'm reliving this trauma every night and it made me think it I felt like I grew up because whereas before I always just want to do everything I'll just push really hard and when I was doing the fringe I was like oh I actually can't do this like I used to I can't I'd not got the energy or the um kind of power to do this for 22 nights yeah because that's what I was going to say yeah. that amount of shows yeah. and you know and it's completely on me but I didn't even think about that side of it that you're doing this show and it's such a personal thing yeah. so you're actually touching on the raw stuff emotions all the stuff you yeah. I need to kill my dad off in every show <laughs> <laughs> it's like brutal um, but you just have to st- keep hold of the fact that like you are giving people space to feel something and that mm-hmm. has to be important Definitely. but I think I think going forward I need to you know the, the dates of the Tron are four four dates and I think that that is like yeah, a good number yeah and then I've got um, Alphabeti in Newcastle I just don't want to do anything that makes me feel like I am at capacity because then I can't do my best show right okay yeah yeah yeah, because I suppose 
you need recovery time as well. Mm, yeah. And I've been doing that for pretty odd shows. Definitely. Yeah. And I drink a lot of beer in the show as well. Um, and I've recently just found out that I'm gluten intolerant. <laughs> so during the fringe, I was like drinking like three cans of tenant tonight yeah. during the show. So I'm going to have to move on to cider. <laughs> <laughs> so not only was I tra- traumatised, but I was also quite sick. So... Um, now I'm going to have to start drinking cider, which I'm a bit worried about because I think it'll go even more straight to my head. Um, I think what you said about when you're, you do um, a performance in other areas where it's yeah. you, yeah. Uh, and you know, you're thinking, well, I want the audience to like me, if that's part of it. <laughs> yes, it probably is. I suppose with this, when you're putting on the costume, does that create a kind of mm. barrier for you think, right, it's not me that they're judging or for judging anyone, it's the character that I've created. Yeah, I think, I think in part it does give you a separation and also um, the, the costume is so good. So Yeni Luth, who is the, um, she's the costume, she's head of costume at the Trot and she mm-hmm. designed it all. Oh, so right. she's, she does all like Johnny My Night's pantos and everything. So Brilliant. she's very good at making these costumes quite like out there and it definitely does feel like a performance more than anything else. Um, and that does create this nice separation for sure. Did you have anything in the costume that when you put it on you think I'm now in? Yeah, I have a fat suit. <laughs> so that's when that's when it happens and the beard. I just remember David Sushi saying he had the moustache and the moustache went on for Poirot, that's when he knew he was in as fun. Yeah. He started the accent came and all of that stuff yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, we'll go back to Edinburgh. How was that as an experience? Because we spoke to Kevin Gilday yeah. about his show and we spoke to him before it started and I spoke to him socially afterwards yeah. and how kind of difficult he found it. What was your experience? So this is my second year doing it. So I did it um, in 2017 at Hopeless and then doing it again. And this year we had more support, like we had funding and we had you know, a bigger team and all that kind of thing. So that was definitely easier. Um, but I do think, and that's why the Autopsy Award is really good because mm-hmm. it supports a Scottish artist making groundbreaking work because I think um, it can feel quite satirised with people that are from elsewhere um, and actually the Scottish voices tend to get lost and you'll meet people that have not gone to see one Scottish artist the whole time that they're there um, so I think things like Autopsy is really and I think Summerhall are quite good at making sure that they've got quite a varied um, lineup. but I think The Fringe is quite amazing in terms of how you manage to get an audience and how you manage to be part of like a big buzz and I think it's really amazing but I can see why it is terrible for your mental health <laughs> and why people really struggle and I think the real the real gap happens when you base your self-worth on how good the art is doing and I think it's very hard to avoid that when you're amongst so many things yeah. reviews coming up all the time yeah. social media Facebook I mean it's it is crazy and um, so I think going into it you need to make sure that you're really ready just to not be so hard on yourself and just be like whatever happens is meant to happen and that's way harder to yeah. say than it is to practice because the whole um, way that anything is reviewed now has changed so much when you said you know you, you, you get two stars and this idea that people just look at the number of stars and don't actually read anything yeah. about the show kind of happens you know increasingly or there's just one line out of a full review you know or 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 that you or you read lots of reviews that are just explaining the show 
<laughs> and you're like, yeah, but what, what, like, what did you feel? Like, what did you get yeah, out of yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was talking to someone who does in film, and increasingly that's the case where press releases get sent to reviewers. Yeah. And then they say, that's just cut and paste from the, uh-huh. the press release. It's not yeah. a review at all. Which uh, is a worry, definitely. But uh, there is space of like, how do you improve? Yeah. Like, how, like, if reviews are important mm-hmm. for you to be humble and improve and all those kind of things, um, but they are. But they should be reviews. That you see, they shouldn't just be. Yeah. Well, this happened and that happened, and you yeah. know, and in the end, two stars. Uh, but it's also really hard as like an individual. Like it's not like I've got anyone else to. Nobody else is gonna feel that with me. Like that is just. Uh, yeah. That is just me. Like you're just tearing into me. Like it's not like I have like, you know, a, a, a cast or it's yes. not like I have. Uh, like a director that's going to take all the blame it's just like oh you are just hearing into it's me everything yeah. Forward, yeah. yeah but then how, but then I don't think you shouldn't have them no. so I don't I, I think it's more up to like me as an artist to be able to like separate myself from them yeah sure. um, so said that we're giving poet performer and storyteller and increasingly I'm drawn to this idea of storyteller yeah. because we like to say that this writer is that, or this poet or performer, and kind of, they have to be put into boxes, but actually everyone's telling stories. Yeah, totally. So is that something that's important to you, as an idea? Yeah, definitely. Um, I studied drama at uni, so I came from a drama background, and I always worked with autobiographical material, so it's always been, you know, telling stories, but they're always, you know, usually about me, or usually about people I know, mm-hmm. or my experiences. Um, so yeah like it is important and I think that stories allow people to work out who they are in the world even just by listening you know they get to you know find a sense of comfort in them I think and I think that's we're almost all created with the stories that we've heard of mm. Dad's are a great version of telling stories that you think, I'm not sure that's entirely true <laughs> yeah. but you know there's a fictional aspect to them and um, the people that Often the folks say, well, you're a writer or a poet, say, well, I, I, I can never do that or I wouldn't ever do that. But they'll still be telling stories mm-hmm. when they get out in the pub or when they're in the cafe. There's these kind of stories all around them. And I think that's often um, important for people to realise when they sit down and they read a book or they, you know, go and hear a performance poetry is that that's what's happening. Yeah. You don't have to be excluded from that. You can tell your stories yeah, as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think Glasgow is an amazing place for spoken word and poetry because it really doesn't have like litigation do you yeah. know what I mean it doesn't, yes. have, it doesn't have these like set rules about what it, poetry is and what it's not and I think places like in deep are great because they just encourage those people to use the open mic and a lot of the time they are just telling funny stories and actually how important that is as well as any sort of like you know page poetry or anything yeah. like that um, and you know I my family come from Ireland and you know yeah. you know my mum and my, and, not, and my dad and my family you know they have set stories that they always go back to and tell and you know drinking in the pub is a performance because yeah. you know you're always like waiting for the next person to tell the big story and, and they'll tell it in their own way in a performance it is yeah, a performance totally. yeah. Yeah. I will say if you fancy going down to Indy get down early because they're always rattling. yeah totally performance it is really popular yeah I mean that's where I first started so Sam asked me to come mm-hmm. and do spoken word because I'd 
um, been writing some stuff and I was like, oh, it's not poetry, it's not poetry, I can't, <laughs> can't come down. She's like, come down, honestly, it's so chill, like, and that's where I started. And then I was doing that all the time. And um, so In Deep was always kind of fundamental, I think it's fundamental to a lot of people coming mm-hmm. through, like me, Iona Lee, Jim Monaghan, Kat, Hepburn, Kevin, like we all came up through and deep, you know, we're all, all there at the same time. And these are people that, it's sometimes you get that in a city uh, or a place where there's one thing and it kind of spawns other yeah. people going out and doing it, inspired yeah. by it. Yeah. How, when did you start? 2013, did my first performance, 2014. Yeah, okay. And have you seen it? I mean, I think it's in a really healthy place. Just yeah. Now, almost any night, certainly in this city and in other cities as well, you could go out and go and see some performance poetry. Yeah, definitely. I think we are... I think the one thing that's quite dangerous about spoken word and poetry is that there is um, no kind of... There's no support for people. So mm-hmm. like whereas when you're in like theatre or music, there seems to be like, you know, you have management or producers and like, you know, you have funding bodies and you have like your own kind of space and creative Scotland and all this kind of stuff. Whereas spoken word is very much like a it's in a basement kind of yeah. art form, you know, and, 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 and how you actually extend to the next level can be quite tricky. And also how you are mindful over, you know, because quite a lot of people are encouraged to be quite raw and, uh, you know, confessional and all this kind of stuff. And actually how, who is protecting these people that are standing at these mics that, you know, uh, and there's a lot of power for the bookers and, yeah. you know, you know all these kind of things. And, and I think that that's something that makes me nervous in a lot of ways, but also... I, I think that that's something what's great about open mics yeah. is that anyone can get up and do anything but that's that, partly attractive is it that if you say it could be in a, a pub or in yeah. a, a cellar somewhere and that's let's just do it right there it's the most I mean there's not even you don't even need electricity yeah. you, know, you don't need to you can just go and do it but there, that means that you can't like something in theatre you can uh, workshop a show and then hopefully get support if it's good enough yeah. or if it's it's like ticks like boxes often in terms of funding yeah. to get it there, but um, that doesn't seem to be the case with uh, spoken word. Yeah, I mean, it feels like you have to make a show yeah. to then be able to do anything, and then your show is technically theatre. Then, so, do you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Right. I think Sonic Youth have done really well here. Yeah. Actually, I think Sonic Youth have really. You know, and that and that's only because Jenny Lindsay, you know, set up Flint, Flint and Pinch and Rally and Broad and all that, and you know, Noiriki as well. There are other good ones, and that's always like the next level. Um, and I think they are all was really great nights, but it's the kind of like level below that that you know, there's not much. It's like all the power is in with the bookers and the gatekeepers. Yeah, and you talk about poetry on the page. You've had a collection. Hopeless. Yeah, hopeless. So hopeless was the show that I made, and it, the the book is like kind of like a documentation of the show right. rather than a poetry book. So it's got poems in it, but it kind of is got it's got stage directions and stuff in it as well. Whereas I've been working on a collection now, so which is really exciting. Um, so I, I always wanted to do it, and it never felt easy. And now sitting down, I'm like, oh, I actually do have enough now to <laughs> to make a collection. Um, and hopefully that will be out in the next few years. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Because I think in the last year or so, um, 
partly because of the rise of the Stuart Rhubarb as a press, yeah. but other presses as well. Poetry, written poetry, poetry collections, there seem to be, I mean, they're, they're not hugely popular, yeah. they're not bestsellers or anything, yeah. but they do seem to be um, very popular at the moment. Yeah, I think um, for me, it was something that I was always quite resistant to. Mm-hmm. Like, I always felt like I didn't, like, I'm quite dyslexic and I really struggled at school and I always thought that, you know, it wasn't for me and I wouldn't understand it and all this kind of stuff. But when really I just realised I was reading the wrong genre. Like, yeah, you just, yeah. like, it's, you know, poetry is like music. There's genres and you just have to find the ones that you like Absolutely. and, like, totally go for it. And now, you know, I can't stop reading poetry. Well, that's what I say to people, they say, oh, no, I don't really like poetry. So, well, you just haven't read what you the like. one that you like. Yeah. Because that's the saying, if you say, I don't like great film or I don't like music. Yeah. Didn't someone that said they didn't like music which I thought was a strange I think a lot of people <laughs> I think that's just a way of being like I'm really different isn't it <laughs> um, so in terms of are you thinking of doing more theatre in the future do or is it too early to say I, I kind of fall out with things yeah. <laughs> so when I was doing Daddy Drag I'd fallen out with poetry I was like I'm not doing it anymore and then when I did Daddy Drag I couldn't wait to get back to spoken word and now I'm really into spoken word and going back to it so I, I kind of go in and out of everything at the moment I don't have any ideas for shows but um, I have just been doing a lot of screenwriting nothing's been made yet but I've been doing a lot of professional development screenwriting and pitching and stuff so that's been really fun Um, so I want to focus on that and hopefully doing a poetry book um, and then Daddy Drag will do its last couple of shows but I'm also working for the International Book Festival so so that's a big big gig and you also are involved in the education side of things you do so tell me about that I'm interested so it's um, the Educational side is kind of like the bread and butter. It's yeah. like what I do um, to kind of keep myself, you know, working. Um, but I don't see it as a, I don't see it as a side hustle. I kind of think that it informs all my other stuff yes. anyway, and what I do informs that, and you know, vice versa. Um, but yeah, I do. I work in different social contexts, so I teaching theatre, teaching spoken word and stuff like that. So I work in schools, I've worked in prisons with adults, people with learning difficulties. And what's great about being creative is that anyone can do it yeah. because there's no right or wrong answer. So, But what's the experience of, if you go into a school or a prison where perhaps um, there's going to be initial resistance to mm. any kind of performance, you know, right back to what we spoke about at the beginning, this idea of not letting any emotions out, you know, particularly yeah. men, or young boys, or whatever. Um, what's the initial yeah. uh, idea? Or, or are people quite open to it? I think people are just waiting to be asked. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. And I think it doesn't always work, but it mostly works. Yeah. And what what I have as my secret weapon is that I can go in and do some poems, and mm. I'll just do ones that really suit whatever room I'm walking into, and that always helps a wee bit. But of course you're always having um, resistance, but what's really important is building safe spaces and like positive relationships, yeah. and then people feel like they can open up. And that's why I find some artists that you know see it as a side hustle, that are going in for an hour, you know, they're not going to get the same outcomes because it's not that important to them. Whereas mm. me, it's like, like it's really important for me for those people to leave feeling like a sense of self-worth. And that's not going to happen if I am not there actually building positive relationships where they feel like they can trust me to open up. Um, and I've been doing it for a long time. I've been doing it longer for po- than poetry. You know, yeah. I've been doing it for 
nine, eight or nine years um, and it's something that I think I get a lot of joy out of. Uh, I think that idea of building relationships with these things is so important Yeah. Um, because if you go and ask someone to write or, or uh, perform something that, that means a lot to them, that is, if they're doing it for the first time, yeah. that's incredibly raw. Yeah. And then, uh, and then if the person it goes, right, see you in a month or, you know, or, yeah. or, or, or I'll be someone else next week. Uh, I think people overlook that sometimes, that there should be that kind of... I think that that's the thing when, you, you know, people people book you to come in for an hour mm -hmm. whereas you know these projects that I do I tr try and have at least six weeks six sessions and then that's the that's the the way that you can open them up because it's not yeah. safe to open up people within an hour yeah, yeah. it's actually not you don't have an exit strategy and you don't know what's living in that room yeah. so it's about like having fun and then slowly building up to it and actually being like you don't have to open up that that's your choice like if you want to write about Celtic or you want to write about mm -hmm. like that's that's your you, you have to give them the ownership and the choice about what they write about because you don't want them to be digging down deep because you're not a therapist you're not no. you've not got that skill so if that comes out that's great but actually you have to be really aware of that you know if you're the first person that's asked them yeah absolutely. dig deep right about you know you need to give them little prompts that means that they can um, find ownership and like power through it rather than you know, uh, being exploited for their stories. Yeah. Um, so, as you said at the beginning, Daddy dragged Troy Theatre on 26th and 29th. Have yeah. you done it in front of that last No, I haven't, so I'm really excited about doing that. Excellent. Yeah. I can't wait to see it myself. Oh, well, thanks for talking no, to us No, thank today. you so much. And we'll be back soon uh, with someone completely different. <laughs> Cheers.